Welcome to episode 13 of the Podium Runner Endurance Podcast, starting our second year. On the show, I talk to athletes, coaches, and sports scientists about their experiences and advice. Thanks for listening, and I'm your host, Ian Sharman, head coach at Sharman Ultra and a professional ultra runner. This episode, we're talking to my good friend, Renee Metivia, about strength training for runners. She's been a professional runner since 2005, when she graduated from the University of Colorado at Boulder. She's represented the USA at six IAAF World Championships and is a four-time USATF national champion from 3,000 meters up to the marathon. Renee debuted in the marathon in the 2012 Chicago Marathon, where she ran 2.27, which at the time was the fourth fastest American debut. She's also the owner of Recharge Gym in Bend, Oregon, which is where I go to, to work out. Uh, and she has 10 years plus of coaching and personal training from elite sport performance to helping injured athletes safely return to sport. She's a certified personal trainer and correctional exercise specialist with the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Plus, she's a USATF Level 1 certified coach. So as mentioned, we're talking about strength training and how that pertains to being a runner in particular. And so um, here are the things that we're going to be discussing in this show. Uh, first of all, her experience in elite track and marathon running, including how strength training was used by herself and other elites over the years that she'd see uh, amongst her competitors, um, how strength training helps reduce injury and improve muscle fiber activation, how getting stronger doesn't mean bulking up, and Renee is extremely strong and powerful, but also light and fast. We also discuss whether to focus on heavy weights with low reps or lower weights with he higher reps. Um, do we need to exercise all areas of the body? how to fit strength work around harder running sessions, how many sessions per week and for how long, how strength work fits into a race buildup and taper, how to improve uphill and downhill fitness via strength work, how hilly trail running can mimic some of the benefits that you get from strength training, how aging affects strength training needs, using weight vests for acting, active recovery, plus understanding the purpose behind any exercise or training session, whether that's running or any other form of training. So we cover quite a lot of stuff. Some of these are, are simple answers, but it's a really um, comprehensive view that we're looking at with Renee and, and she really knows her stuff. So let's get into it. Do you want to run further and faster and recover quicker and easier? Do you want to feel healthier than you've ever felt before? You need to make a change and that's what Inside Tracker is all about. Founded by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometric data from MIT, Tufts, and Harvard, Inside Tracker is a personalized health and wellness platform like no other. What's their secret? First, Inside Tracker uses its painted algorithm to analyze your body's data and offer you a clearer picture than you've ever had before of what's going on inside you. Then, Inside Tracker provides you with concrete, science backed, trackable action plan information for reaching your performance goals and being your healthy best. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering a 25% off in its entire store. Just visit insidetracker.com slash endurance hour. Start using Inside Tracker today because change is an inside job. Welcome and thanks for joining me, Renee. Thanks for having me, Ian. We've got a slightly controversial topic today, uh, talking about strength training for runners, something that every runner tends to have an opinion on. But I wanted to have someone who is a gym owner, a professional runner, uh, and one of the strongest runners I know to talk to it about, uh, to talk about it, I should say, because um, this is something where we want to make sure that it's adding to a runner's ability to run rather than just an additional thing or taking up their time unnecessarily. So 
Um, first of all, though, before we get into any of that and the practical side of it, let's just delve into a bit of your athletic past because you've done things like Diamond League. Um, so just give a bit of an overview of the kind of racing you've done uh, and the level that it was at as well. Um, well, I am very different um, and very versatile. Um, so I started um, on the track uh, and cross country doing uh, 1,500 to 5,000 meters. Um, I've been at I've run the 1500 meter and the 5,000 at the Olympic trials. Um, I ran at the university of Colorado and that's when I went pro and ran for Nike for my first six years and competed in, like you mentioned, diamond leagues, um, in Europe, um, and around the world. I've been on five world championship cross country teams. I've won four national U S titles from 3000 to marathon. Um, in around, around 2012, um, I transitioned to more road and marathon. Um, I didn't give up with the track yet, but, um, I found that I actually became stronger and faster when I got a little more diverse and didn't stay in a box. Um, that's also right around the time I started severely strength training. Um, I did. I was that runner you mentioned earlier that did not do it. Um, it was. Um, in co- I've always been a stronger runner. I was a gymnast as my background before running, and um, I was nervous that I would get bigger. I'm especially back then in 2000, um, when I started, um, running in college. And so I actually apologized to my strength coach a lot and I, I don't never believe what I do now. <laughs> I guess. Um, but after 2012, um, the marathon, I, I debuted and ran at the time, the fourth fastest, uh, debut in history for an American and, um, 227. And so it kind of set my path to, to transition more into the roads. And I started doing more 20 Ks, more longer events. Um, and then my first trail race, which, um, you know well, um, was in 2016 after um, I was disappointed at the 2016 trials. Um, And um, I just was like, let's try this out and just have fun for a while. And I won my debut uh, in the half marathon championships. Um, Then I broke my leg, which was unfortunate. Um, But I only broke my fibula. Everyone's surprised I didn't break my tibia and did a a tib fib. And I really think it is my strength training. And then also how I came back out of it. I was racing five months later with a total bone reconstruction, nine screws, six inch metal plate in my leg. And I won my fourth national title after that. So in the marathon um, on the trails. And um, I ran my fifth Olympic trials just last year in the marathon and um, also broke the treadmill world record in the 50K. So um, is that... That, That's exactly, I think that gives people exactly the right idea, which is that you've done a little bit of everything. So all the things that we'd think of as distance running, you've tried them all and done them at a high level, national championships, Olympic trials, Diamond League. Uh, but you started on the short stuff and then you've you've gradually moved up to longer things uh, and trails as well a bit more in recent years. So you mentioned at first you didn't really do any strength training. So was that uh, mainly a fear just of, of bulking up? Uh, was it a lack of time? And how did that how did your thinking on that progress over time? Well, when I was in college, um, I started in 2000 um, and I graduated in 04. It was during that awful period in history where people ate low fat everything and thought they would women would get huge if they lifted weights, um, which is just total 
bull um and both of them <laughs> and um um i think it just played in because i was always a stronger runner in general and i thought i didn't need it um and then i pl got plagued with injuries i wasn't injured in the beginning um and i think because i had been doing gymnastics and other power type sports i was very I like you can talk to my first college coach. I was never injured. And then um, I, I started right when I went pro right before I started getting injured. And I think that's because I became one sided and I wasn't taking care of the strength training. And um, I went through a slew. My first four years of being pro, um, I had trouble making it through a full season. Um, I just, I just, I had Achilles issues. I had um, plague, play, I just, that was actually the main one. There was a few other things, but the Achilles and anyone here who's listening, the dreaded Achilles. <laughs> it's called the Achilles heel for a reason. Um, and, um, and it lasted for, for a long time and not figuring it out. And actually, um, uh, I think that's when I discovered my love of strength training. And the funny thing is I got uh, leaner and when I got stronger and and not bigger, like when I ran my debut in the marathon, um, that was post all like tons of strength training. I was the, the smallest I've ever been because I was new to marathon training. Um, so like it was a balance. Um, but I was so strong. Like my power to weight ratio was so high. Um, it still is. Like I'm, and I'm not like, when I say small, like people, I don't know if people can see me. I am, a, I am, a, I'm five foot two and 105 pounds, but I'm not small in the runner world as much. So, um, no, and you're, you're built of muscle, you are deaf, but not, not being heavy. And so for the people listening in confused that I'm saying be tiny, you don't want to be tiny, like no. that kind of tiny. I'm strong and every, like I'm my, every bit is muscle and useful. Um, it's, it's, and if you're running a ton, you can't get huge. That's the other thing that people don't realize. Um, and that's for men and women, of course. That's for across the board. Anyone who's doing a high amount of endurance training is going to struggle to put on a lot of mass, no matter who they are. Um, it doesn't, whatever sport you are, if you're doing a lot of endurance training, um, you just, it's hard to put on a lot. So I think once people know that, they won't get scared to pick up the heavy weights and that's where my transition happened. Um, I had surgery in Sweden in 2012 um, at, uh, with the best Achilles surgeon in the world. And I moved into the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs. And I lived there for six months. I went all in because this was like, do I retire or, or find a different sport? Because um, my Achilles was a problem. And... I immersed myself with the best coaches, the best trainers. I was with the head physiologist every day, the head doctors. Um, my background is in mathematics but and, and business, but I also um, have studied a lot of x-ray science. And this kind of started my whole journey, like, um, because I was seeing girls that I was beating before continue to progress without injuries. And I was just staying here, like, um, at U.S. Cross in 2008, I was second behind Shalane, and we were way ahead of everybody else. Molly Huddle got third. And so it's like I was getting left behind because I kept dealing with injuries after injury. And I was like, I, I have to find a new 
way to like stay injury free and also just enjoy it again. Cause I was starting to not like it. it. I think anyone who's been injured knows how awful it is. And, and then if you're running with an injury that people can't figure out and it's just years of dealing with, um, not knowing how to fix it. So I immersed in that completely. And, um, I learned so much. Um, and that's where I started getting more advanced certifications and degrees. And then I came back and ran that 227 debut in the marathon, which I think shocked a lot of people. Cause I think I'd only been racing for like, um, I ran in the Olympic trials, but I had only been, um, on full body weight for five weeks. Um, and I ran 1520 in the 5k, um, which was the Olympic A at the time. Um, and, um, in a short period of time, like it's nuts. Like I, I'm still shocked. Like I went from, I ran at uh, my first race post surgery. I ran, um, and I had just been on the alter G and strength training and cross training. And I had been on full body weight about two weeks doing workouts. And they, I ran for Nike at the time and they wanted me at pretty Fontaine because the field was small and I live in Oregon. And my agent's like, do you think you can do the 3000? And I was like, I haven't done any speed work at all, but it's only an hour, two hour drive. And let's see where I'm at. And I almost podiumed. I was in third to last 200. I did get out kicked. Um, and I ran like 849, like, which is nuts off of the training I had. And it just, I was just like this light, like this, it just like went off that like, okay, what am I doing different right now? Like I never felt more aligned. I've never felt every muscle like firing a hundred percent and it was fun. Like you can fight and like you can handle a lot more. And so, um, that kind of started that whole journey. So, so would you say there's two main reasons why strength training helps? One, that it is getting you fitter, it's actually making you a better runner, you're engaging more muscle fibers like you mentioned. And then the other thing being hopefully lower chance of injury and in that both of those are contributing then to more consistent training and a higher level of, of performance as a result of that. And you, you were seeing that yourself and that would be also everything you've studied would suggest that or... Is there any nuance to what I've just said? No, that's actually pretty much in a nutshell. You could divide it up like muscle activation. You're going to get more muscles firing, um, which actually increases efficiency. So it's about efficiency and muscle load um, and also your tendons, like um, especially that Achilles tendon down below that's take anything in the lower leg um, and the lower body um, needs. It needs to be able to handle. Um, it's, you know, like lower... I wasn't saying lower limb or, you know, from the waist down is super high injury rate for runners. Um, I mean, that goes without saying, um, but um, it's usually uh, associated with lower extremity strength deficits um, compared to the load you're doing. It's like you can handle when you run, like if you put pressure in your finger like this, Oh, it's no problem. I'm going to max, but do it. But if you do it for like an hour, like it's going to start hurting if you're at your max range of motion. Um, so making sure you have proper muscle activation, trunk stability, um, and, um, that relative load on your body, like running puts a lot of force. And so making sure your tendons have good stiffness and bounce, but not overly stiff. Um, and then there's other things like the vertical oscillation. Like if you don't have that good, um, quick, ground contact time, you want no vertical oscillation, like no up and down when you run. And that usually is because 
you don't have good force development um, and power training and strength training actually helps that. So um, you can limit your bounce. You can increase your relative load, your like that maximum muscle strength. Um, and then that all keeps you healthy. So, yeah. And that's also, as you say, more fun. It's much more enjoyable not being injured and, and doing better at running, but mainly just being able to run versus not running. Yes. Um, and I'm a runner, so I prioritize that. So I know you mentioned earlier, like, like you know, is it taking away? And I, I don't find it takes the same energy at all because I don't do HIIT-type strength training. And that was the thing that really, when I lived at the Olympic Training Center, you know how runners want to work hard all the time? Like, we want to be sweaty and whatever. Um, of yeah. yeah um, strength training should not be that way for us. And so I don't find I get tired from strength training. And if I'm doing it regularly, it doesn't make me – overly sore. I don't max out very often. I also don't lift light. Um, obviously I build up, like if I take a break, I don't just jump right in, but, um, um, I, I take full rest. It's specific. There's always a correctional for every two strength exercises. And those correctionals can be very specific to you and what you need for your strong st- trunk stability. Your, your pelvic stability is really important for a runner. Like, like, like we talked about that up and down bounce that you don't want as a runner. You need a very stable pelvis. And I don't care who you are. Like, like running form can be debated all day. And I don't believe you should change a ton of things, but there are certain things you need and you need a certain amount of pelvic stability so that your hips stay stable and, um, your, you know, your SI joints not moving around all the, all over the place. Um, a certain amount of internal external rotation of your hips. And if you look at strength training a different way as a way of not just building muscle mass, but actually functional range of motion. Um, and you take that mindfulness into the training and you're not just doing whatever exercise and hit. Like we don't need hit training if you're running a lot. Now it can be supplemental if you're not able to run a lot and you're cross training and you need some cardio, but most of uh, endurance athletes I know need less um, cardio in the gym and much more focus on correctionals, that stability piece and actual power and muscle activation. I think that that's really well said. And hopefully people listening in are convinced that there's a benefit to doing strength training. So I've got a whole load of specific questions that they can then take away how they would actually do it and which things will matter more, which things will allow them to benefit. I'm sure one of the things you'd advise though is, uh, particularly for that correctional side of it, if there's imbalances in muscle strength, et cetera, or um, imperfections in the way they're moving that are are losing efficiency or or leading to uh, injuries again and again, that it helps to actually see a PT or someone similar to, to get that analyzed. So that I'd say goes without saying, but just thinking of what we're aiming to do, um, load of questions on that first but first of all I, I want to mention to people hit so high intensity training basically that yeah just in case they they weren't sure that way that is that's things like uh, i think crossfit is a good example there just short bigger bursts uh, versus what we're going to be talking about in, in a minute as well one last question though about the kind of your experience of the professional side of running is you said that you didn't really do much strength training did you see a wide variety of what other runners did. So other pro runners, did you see much of a difference between what women and men did or slightly older athletes? And at the pro level, that's like mid thirties, I suppose, not old, old, but uh, talk a little bit about that. 
I mean, there is definitely differences. Um, and I think it's changing now, actually, from when I was a younger pro athlete. People didn't talk about, weren't as open. Um, nowadays, with more social media, more people just sharing their training, um, it's been um, enlightening and showing that literally every pro athlete is lifting weights. Um, I don't know any in the track and field world that aren't. But when it, people weren't talking about it as much or maybe that wasn't, I don't think that was the same when I was younger. And I think it's probably, this is not just probably, I know the older half that are smarter and a little wiser that learned once they started getting injured and asking, reaching out for help and getting to the, you know, getting more resources, they see that they, that this is really important. Um, and how to implement it and having someone on your team that helps you make smart decisions on how to implement it into your training. That's not getting in the way of your running at all. Um, in fact, it's just making it better is huge. Um, and I think that's the game changer, just having more research out there, more athletes posting them deadlifting, posting them doing um, core exercises that aren't crunches. Um, like, you know, um, I never do crunches. So it's it's just such a... And for people listening in, she has an amazing six pack. So <laughs> the work you're doing is, is not to get a six pack. That's just the result of the things that you do. Yes. I think when people stop focusing on training as oh, I'm trying to get a six pack or I'm trying to get like, think about it as a total goal of like getting better um, and fixing problems and efficiencies, then the whole, the rest of it falls into a line. And I, yes, I have it. I have a six to eight pack <laughs> and I don't focus on it. Like it's, well, like I said, it, not only do I, I see you regularly in the gym with the type of things you're doing, the classes you're taking, but so I can see you're living that the whole time. But you can quite clearly see that the strength you have um, in the way you move. And, and that's the thing, it, it, your posture at all times, it's affecting us through all daily life. And also, most of the things that most people listening in are going to be doing is sitting in front of laptops through the day, being in cars through the day. So there's also some degree of correcting for imbalances and tightness and things that, that can happen as a result of that, I suppose. So um, getting into the more specific questions, um, we've mainly talked about things that are kind of using weights and, and gym-based stuff. So how would you compare doing work in the gym to other forms of cross training, such as uh, other for other sports, you know, cycling, um, swimming, uh, elliptical machines, or, or similar? Uh, and how do those two things differ? Um, good question. Um, so they are completely different, and I don't even put them in the same realm in my training logs. Um, as a runner who has had injuries and gotten a little older, um, I used to run severe high mileage and now I run high mileage with some added cross training. I always take a day off a week where I cross train or do nothing, um, depending on how my workload has been and how tired I am. Um, I think that's really important as well to note that you should be factoring in your life stress into your training schedule. So if you're not, if, if you're feeling really stressed, then maybe cross training that day might be smarter um, or not and taking a whole day off. So um, cross training is, so I put those in two things. So strength is really working on, um, and I like, like I said, I strength train, I do power correctionals and resistance training together. Um, I strength train about twice a week um, and I lift pretty heavy um, relative, I stay in that 75 to 80% range. I don't go to maximal. I don't go lightweight either, except for my warm up sets. Um, and then, um, 
I do a lot of, I do a few days of cross training and that is just to get some blood flow. And um, like the research is really strong on not just complete rest, but active rest. And most people don't know what that means. Um, And I do not consider weight training active rest. That is training. Um, But cross training, getting in the pool, getting on the bike, that is not impactful um, moving, getting blood to the muscles. Um, I don't do a lot of intervals when I cross train unless I'm injured from running. Cause I do intervals when I run. Um, or I might do some baby things just to pass the time, but I don't really do a workout. I just get on them to get blood flow through the body. Cause it actually helps you recover faster. Um, and you're also still building capillaries in the muscles, which is also huge. Um, you're also getting more endurance base cause your lungs, or, I mean, your heart doesn't always, doesn't know the difference. Um, your feet do. So you still need to run to be a runner, but like it's, it's, there's no, there's no getting out of that part, but um, it's, um, but, but, but luckily we don't want to get out of that part. It's true. I don't, I, my favorite thing. I actually hate cross training completely, but I've learned to love it because I can feel better when I run. So if you're trying to build up a little bit more, but you're not ready, it can be great to get on the elliptical, go in the pool. The pool is amazing. If you have access to a pool, it is also, not only are you getting some endurance benefits, you're in this, um, um, lower gravity environment that actually speeds healing at the same time, which is super cool. And if you're actually running in the water, you can work on form at the same time. So you're getting like this huge bang. Um, if you want more breathing and lungs, actual swimming is the best bang. But um, I think they're just all tools in the tool and that you and your coach should work together to build. And that's why I think a coach is really important. That's actually probably the number one thing is most people don't know how to build a schedule perfect for them. Um, and none of us are, um, good at with ourselves. Like we're not, um, we're too, we're not, we're too close. Like it can't be, it's too subjective. Like, um, we can't be, I don't know the word I'm trying to say, or I do know it, but we'll, we'll, we'll be biased towards what we want to do. Right, rather than what we should do. You're biased and you don't make those calls smartly always. So I think that's some of the most important things a coach can do is when they, when you can do more and when you need to do less how to put your schedule together um, that's specific to you. So we've just mentioned uh, the importance of doing these things. How much of it, I think, is, is another big question for people. So if we were to think of a theoretical athlete who can spend 10 hours a week doing training, um, how much of that should be running? How much of that should be strength work? How much of that should be other things? I mean, I still do mostly running. I'm going to be honest. Like Of my total training load, if you're going to do two percentages, Running is number one and it will always be number one. It's what I love. It's my passion. I have gotten a huge passion for strength training just because A, it's actually become fun for me because I have gotten even stronger and faster at the same time, which is awesome. But um, so I do spend about, um, I'm trying to think of my percentages. I spend about half hour to an hour lifting twice a week. Um, if you're really efficient, you don't have a lot of time, you can get a lot done in a half hour um, if you're just focusing on power and strength. Um, my sessions are about an hour, but I do more than 10 hour load a week um, of training. So um And then I think you should have a little bit of prehab, rehab time um, or correctionals, but I keep it down to one to five minutes pre and post run. I think, I think you can do a lot if you know what your specific things are and that consistency is more important than spending a ton of time 
on something once a week. Um, so I've, I, I need, I need mine to take under 15 minutes. I work a ton. I own a business. I like to run a lot and train a lot. So I, I think the training, it'll add up to a lot of time in the week, but one to five minutes here and there, most of us can find that time. Right. And that would be more like kind of PT exercises, would it, versus exactly. strength, you know, big weights or anything? No, yeah, no, not the rates. It's more mobility and PT, um, specific things given to you from your physical therapist or um, your functional movement screen with a, with a coach if you're not coming off injury. Um, you're more specific based on your biomechanics and your injury risk factors, which there are tests you can do um, to find those out. Like, is your ankle, like for me, I broke my ankle. Most people could probably guess that's my weakness. I also, it's the same ankle I had Achilles surgery. It's my diva foot. I'm going to need to do stuff for it forever. Now, do I do spend like hours on it? No, I spend like one to five minutes every day. And, and maybe I add a little bit more into my, when I strength train, especially in squat day, because ankle mobility is my issue. And pre-run, I do ankle banded ankle distraction it really is like a couple minutes on each foot and it makes sure my ankle's ready to have that load and that range of motion before I put it through like a big run, especially if I'm doing vert and going uphill. Do you want to run better than you've ever run before? You need to make a change and that's what Inside Tracker is all about. Inside Tracker is an ultra personalized wellness platform that analyzes your body data and creates science backed action plans to help you reach your potential for better than ever endurance and performance. For a limited time, Inside Tracker is offering 25% off its entire store. Just visit insidetracker.com slash endurance hour. Get Inside Tracker today because change is an inside job. Basically, what I was saying is just that one to three minutes before and after and learning what you need uh, and you and your coach and your team, having a team is really great around you um, can help decide what that training ratio should be based on your, your time. Um, but I mean, pre- pre- dam- pre- excuse me, predominantly running is your focus if you're a runner uh, and you can supplement in there based on your training loads and background. Certainly. And so you'd also mentioned uh, the, um, the fact that you do heavy weights typically when you're doing the strength training side of it. So, what does that mean? What What is um, the maximum of your one rep maximum? What would be the reasonable percentages for that? The number of reps to be doing, the number of sets to be doing, um, just to give a rough idea. And why would you do heavy weights rather than lighter weights with more reps? Good question. So um, I typically lift, like I said, twice a week as my main, main lifts. Um, I try and keep them very focused um, and fit them into my schedule to where it's not a bother. They are on my harder, one of them's on my shorter, inner, harder interval days. And one is in between that and my long run. So it's on a day that I might do some hill strides or um, it's, it's not next to any of the other things. I lift and, and relate to that, do you do it before or after running? Oh, definitely after. I'm still a runner first. <laughs> it's, um, if you're a weightlifter that doesn't care about running, then I've t- I work with a lot. They 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 prioritize their lift session first. Um, I I always run first. Um, I can usually lift pretty well, fine. Um, and I again, I don't do hit type training. And but like I said, running is still my priority. So I do usually have at least. I try and go six hours between my training sessions if I do a double. So that and I make sure I fuel and I'm I'm fine. Um, I might do a second easy jog after I lift, um, but um, usually when I lift, it's in the evening and I've done my hard interval session in the morning. And um, 
I have gone straight into it from an interval session. If anyone has to do that, it, it's okay. Um, just make sure you really fuel really well in between and get fuel in and don't go straight into lifting without fuel. And then take your time doing your mobility and stretches because running does tighten you up a little bit. And so going straight into lifting, like um, your warm up might change slightly. But, um, and it's always important to warm up before lifting. Uh, so don't just jump in. So heavy lifting. So the reason why is that is um, going to improve all your muscle fibers. Um, so you're going to make them more efficient. Um, when you lift light, you don't use all of your muscles and you actually, some will turn off and then turn off as they get tired and others will turn on. So you're not going to really get that full muscle activation. And, and so you're talking about the individual muscle fibers within a muscle. Exactly. Yeah. So like your quad muscles, if you're not lifting very heavy, not all of them need to fire. And so then as those fatigue, they'll move to other ones. So you're never going to get that maximal strength um, to work hypertrophy, which is muscle building. You need to be in that lower rep, rep range, um, really in that three to six, um, up to eight. Um, and then anything over eight, you're eight to 10 is okay. It's in that muscle endurance, but it's still leaning you out. And then anything over 10 is going into basically full endurance training and it doesn't build muscle at all. So if you, if you're not, if you're trying to build muscle, which is what runners or muscle strength, um, you want to be in that lower rep range under 10. I tend to go through cycles like running, like how you, I don't do the same thing year round. So I have building phases more in my base period. And then um, when it's race season, I back off a little bit, just like you do in your training. And I do like a three week up and then a, de a deload week for a week in the, in the weight room as well. Um, Cause you need time to adapt just like in your running training. And I think sometimes people forget that and they just hammer the weights. Um, so um, that's not how I lift. Um, and so, and, and then my rep, I go through power and strength phases every four weeks um, kind of matching. I try to match my running schedule and I do coordinate with another coach, even though I am a strength coach, because again, we're not all rational with ourselves. So, um, um, so, um, I'm actually, you want to talk to Ian about coaching me, maybe. <laughs> Thank you for the plug. <laughs> I need a running coach again, but, um, um, and I might be connecting, committing to the ultra world soon. So <laughs> Excellent. I'm intrigued, but, um, so, um, I do the four week strength, four week power with a deload. So it's three weeks really, and then a deload and then three weeks deload. And so power is more that three to five rep range and that strength I'm doing than that six to eight. Um, and so, and I might have some like transition where I do 10, eight, six, four. Um, so it's not that heavy, big of reps as you can see. Um, but I do like four to five sets. Um, I'm not doing just a couple and I take full rest. I, I have at least three to four minutes between my heavy lifts. Now, those that doesn't mean you can, you have to stand around. Um, usually I'm doing some correctional or the opposite or, um, like your upper body with your lower like So if I'm doing a deadlift, maybe I'm doing my overhead press and my heavy rows in between. Um, and then I'm doing a correctional, like the pay, like a half kneeling payoff press, which I know most people won't know what that it is, but it is one of the most amazing th things ever, and you should look it up. <laughs> um, What's it involved doing for those people? It, you're in a. You can be. It has many different variations, but it is a core exercise at its base, um, and it's an. You can do anti-rotation and anti-extension core with it, or an iso hold. Um, but the really big one for a runner would be that anti-rotation and extension. 
Um, and I, my favorite version is in a half kneeling position. So you're doing an ISO hold, um, knitting your ribs and you're have a band and you're moving your hand arm and from, I'll, I'll send you a link so you can post it. Well, let's, it. let's add that into the show notes. I think people would be interested to see what that looks like. And it's always difficult to describe an exercise just through talking about it. It is. But, uh, so, so you've talked about it being heavyweight, heavier, heavier weights with lower reps and anything over about 10 is more endurance-based. And I'm sure people listening are thinking, well, I'm an endurance runner. Isn't endurance good? Good question. So it is good for people who do not get endurance. But if you're doing tons of endurance running, your muscles need no more endurance. They need strength and they need correctionals and muscle activation. So we need no more endurance from our lifting. You, if, if you're going for more endurance, then you get that from your run, your cross training. Um, but athletes that don't do those endurance exercises, then they can benefit from some muscular endurance. And they're usually the ones that do more hit type training. Um, and that's their cardio, which um, any runner here who does a hit usually shines because it's not cardio for us, but it is for the general, you know, people that do not do endurance training and, and that has a, has a place in their training. It doesn't for an endurance athlete, unless they are unable to do as much of their endurance training. Um, and then they, it's okay to add that in as part of their cross training. If they're, if they can't do running workouts right now and they're doing mostly cross training, that can be a good loaded muscular endurance workout in your rehab or like when you're coming back from an injury before you can do running workouts. But if you're doing running workouts, you, that you don't need that. I'm sure people will be glad to hear that. And I think it's probably a hard sell to some runners listening of why to do this. So they want to, if they're going to put any time into it, they want to be the maximum benefit. So we're saying higher reps, something maybe up to about eight reps. But here's the question related to that. Should that be to failure should eight be the most you could do or should you be stopping shy of failure so maybe you could do 10 or 12 reps but you stop at eight what, what would be the the rule for that and should it sometimes be to failure and sometimes not i never go to failure in anything so i think most uh, people would agree that that's not a good thing um coaching wise like i mean we have races at times and that's when you go all out um i think it's important to find your one rep max like once season um but once you're dialed in you don't really need that i train um at 75 to 80 percent of my one rep max um and through years i know what that is um but you, it's just like running if you're going to say perceived effort um i'm not going to 100 percent. i'm training in that 70 to 80 um i might push up like like i said there's those training weeks where you're building and then you have a deload, maybe right before that deload week, you, you hit 90, but I rarely go to the rep one rep max, um, ever. Uh, and I, in my running training, the same, I never, I can mm -hmm. always run another repeat or two. Um, I, I don't go to failure in my runs either. So I, and I think that's important for the masses to hear because I, I know so many people that just go all out all the time. And I'm like, you're, if you go past a load your body can handle, your amount of time to recover from it will actually interrupt your training. So you have to have this balance of progressive overload um, and adaptation. And you also need to make sure you're planning for adaptation in your schedule. Because um, it doesn't matter how hard you train if you can't adapt and get better from it. So you have to have that systematic progressive overload that you can handle and absorb. 
So, so same principles with running as with uh, with working out within the gym. Exactly. And so that's what's it's when you start thinking about it that way, you're going to be like, oh, that makes sense. Um, but a lot of people don't tie that together always or and it's not taught. I don't know why. Um, I wish this was all taught in like PE when we were kids, like we didn't taught any of this or even just how to move. Um, I like my first session when I'm with someone, I'm doing a functional movement screen and watching them squat with no weight and deadlift at first before I even give them a plan because people don't know how to move always. And if they are sitting a lot, which is a grand, a big majority, um, a lot of times they have shortened hip flexors or they're very much in that anterior chain and their posterior chains turned off, which runners really need <laughs> their posterior chain. So um, it's really important to make sure um, you have that balance in your training. And so related to that, we just if we're trying to narrow it down to what are the things that we do need and don't need, I think just selling it to people that there's maybe, maybe more that they need to do than they're thinking. And part of that would be, um, do you just need to exercise on the legs? We're a runner. Do, do we need to care about the upper half? Do we need to care about the core? That's that They're not working as hard, surely. So what, what are your thoughts there? Um, well, I believe you're doing your body a disservice if you're just focusing on legs. But that I am... I mean, obviously I'm a runner and legs are my favorite, <laughs> but, um, and they are the focus in my training. So I do lift more legs, but I do lift my arms. You need to have good, um, movement in your arms. When you start doing more, um, different events where you need to be able to keep pushes or use poles, that's important. Um, how your lungs expand, um, but the core and the legs are usually the focus. And core is not abs. Like, I mean, abs are a part of your core. Um, they're just not only the thing. So the core is anything from basically chest to knee, like, or mid-thigh. Like, that's, all, that's your core. Um, and so I think core is really important. Your back posture when you're running is so important. So um, you should be training your back, like doing rows, Pull-ups are a great one because they get your lats. Um, but there's other things like lat pullovers if pull-ups are hard for you and other modifications and ways to build that. Um, do I do bench press very often? No. I'm going to be honest. Like, I love bench press, but it's not sport-specific. Um, I do incline bench at times because it's a little more. Um, I, I love doing more back core. I do do some biceps and bench occasionally. I just don't do, there's not the priority. They might be sprinkled in. I do the way I, I put my strength training. It's one is mobility. Um, that's like five minutes of specific rolling and stretching that are the muscles I'm going to be using. Then it's another five, seven minutes of specific activation of the muscles I'm going to be using, getting them fired up. Then I have a power workout and it's usually always focused on um, usually a squat or a hinge. Um, so I have a squat day or a push pull day. Um, and I do a unilateral and bilateral each depending on the day. So one single legged and one's double legged. That's what those mean. So bilaterals, two legs, unilaterals, one. Um, and so like if it's a squat day, I might be doing a single leg hinge power move or vice versa, or like squat and single leg deadlift go together and deadlift and single leg squat. And like you mentioned before, runners need to do single leg training. Um, most, most people do. That's how you fix imbalances. If you only squat and deadlift, you're going to miss like where your compensation patterns are and your strength 
discrepancies are. Now I do squat and deadlift because that's how you really build full power, like really get full muscle activation and things need to work together. And I, I love deadlift. It's like my favorite lift. The posterior chain for runners is something they should all be working on. And a single leg deadlift is a runner's best friend. So it's balance. It's that posterior chain. Um, it's the hinge movement, um, from the hips. So it's got a lot going for it. Um, and I do unweighted ones after every run pretty much just because the running so eccentric on the hamstrings. So that's, it can use it as a mobility piece too. So I hope that's that's all all really useful. And I think several of the things you mentioned there, the word stability comes into it. So it's not just outright strength or trying to have huge muscles and huge power. It's the stabilization side of it. And as we think about a runner, as they fatigue, they lose form and lose some efficiency as a result of that. So the small muscles, things like the core that are keeping us stable, uh, make a massive difference there to being able to still run well near the end of a race, for example. Well, it's a good, I don't want to interrupt you, but I have a really good example that I just, um, most people here know who Max King is. He just got his golden ticket. Um, I started to, to Western States for those who don't know what a golden ticket means. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, and, um, he just did a hundred K and he normally struggles with the longer races because his pelvic stability wasn't fully there. Um, and holding form is huge as you get tired. And so adding in the strength was a lot of specific ISO holds to get his low abs engaged without his hips shifting. And and that's super important to be able to hold stability. Most people really want to focus on core strength and it's super important, but if you don't have a stable core, it can't utilize that strength. So they have to stability and strength have to be put together. And it's easier to work on those things actually in the gym or at home um, than during a run. Like trying to think of holding your hips stable and your core, like while you're moving, running is really hard. I I know if anyone tries to think of form and running, when I give running form cues, I give like one because it's too much. And you have, you can only really focus on one at a time. Whereas in the strength world, you can kind of isolate and really dial that in to aid into that. Um, so and related to exactly that uh, and the stability side of it is we've mainly been mentioning things that involve free weights as opposed to using machines so is the main advantage there that a free weight you've got to do all the stabilization yourself and it's going to be moving things in multiple planes versus a machine that would be probably more for someone who's just trying to build big muscles and they can just focus on the pure maximum amount of, of weight they can do yeah that's a very good way of pointing out like I'm not going to be a bodybuilder and bodybuilders are the only ones I know that really isolate muscle groups um, or someone who just wants big biceps. Um, it's, it's, it's really important to have that balance. And um, I don't isolate very often because that's not functional. It doesn't actually translate to what your goal is. And so knowing your goal in the weight room, I think is really important um, and will keep you actually doing what you need to do when you go there. So um, like knowing its purpose and why it's in there, which is why I always think that a good coach should be teaching you the why of it. And you'll actually be able to do it a more properly and get more out of it and be more invested to making sure you're doing it with good form. Form is huge. Um, and it should be the priority in every strength program because that's the whole purpose. And it doesn't, even if you're not a runner, um, or an endurance athlete, like you will 
be stronger and get more muscle activation and not get hurt if you're uh, prioritizing form. Um, and you had another part to that question I forgot. Um, good question. <laughs> I think you, you covered most of it there. Um, but yeah, the, the idea was um, trying to, to use free weights because it's got oh, the stability element. And also related to that, I suppose, that there'll be more uh, multiple joint uh, movements rather yeah. than just one joint moving in one way. And sometimes you need to do one joint if you are coming off an injury and your PT should help you progress you to where you can get to multi-joint. Um, free rates also have a greater range of motion. You're limited to the machine's range of motion. So it might not be good for you actually. Now, sometimes it's better than nothing if that's all you got or if you only have one day where you're visiting a place and that's the gym, that's your option. Um, I would say still do it. It's better than nothing. I would not do it as your main like all the time type of lift. Um, but um, it's just not going to be as um, applicable to what you need in the running world um, or just life. Let's just go there. And, um, and you just are limited in that range. And so that's sometimes like I, the only time I use machines when I coach is if they are coming off an injury and there is something that needs very specific um, isolation and those those can be keys, but I still think bands and free weights and other types of modifications are better. No, thank you. I think that explains it all well. I mean, ho hopefully people listening can understand the purpose here that it's not to get big and strong. It's to functionally move better, to engage the muscle fibers more, to hopefully have a better range of movement and, and less chance of getting injured. And as we just mentioned, to be able to move better and keep your form uh, when you're getting tired as well. So relating to that, you mentioned a second ago about having good form in your exercise is important. So being slow and controlled and doing it well rather than rushing it would, I guess, be a key thing there. Otherwise, you could be reinforcing bad movement patterns. Yeah, so you don't want to ever rush your weightlifting, ever. Um, you said that perfectly, actually. Um, so form is number one and function, and making sure you're doing it correctly should always be your first priority. Now, that being said, there are times where power training should be introduced um, as a runner, like I mentioned earlier, like power and strength training are both important. Um, and power is just getting that full muscle activation and making sure your muscles can fire quickly. Um, now, I never do that with heavy loads. So it shouldn't be like a, a box jump is a power move. Um, uh, you could do, I do some deadlift with jump, but then it's really light and focused on slow eccentric and then powering up. Um, and you should be working with your coach to do that and implement that properly. And so power would be a little bit more like plyometric type exercises? Exactly. And there are safe plyometrics. They're not always jumps. So your coach should be able to dial that in perfectly. What it is to do a plyometric, like I've done some even on the ground and driving my heel into a ball really quickly. Something simple like that can happen. Um, but those should be introduced with your coach. And um, still you have to have proper form first. Um, as your priority before you can even do power training. So, um, and, and so that's form is, should always be the number one when you lift weights. Okay. Well, the next question is about how things would vary over time. You already mentioned that you'll focus sometimes on power, sometimes on strength. If someone has got into this routine, let's say they're doing one or two times a week and it's become part of their habit, how would that change over time? Like when they're peaking for a race, when they're tapering for a race, um, should it be just kind of going in line with the amount of running they're doing and backing off at the same times as that? 
That's a good question. So um, I personally believe in diamond training um, instead of pyramid where you do everything and then you stop doing that and you do this and that. I think your injury risk goes up if you just like change systems all of a sudden and you aren't concurrently growing them all. Um, that doesn't mean like speed and endurance. Like I'm not doing like 400 meter workouts. It's just throwing strides in sometimes can be your speed. Um, just touching on it at all times so that your injury risk is low. So I believe in your weight training should follow that same exact pattern. So when I'm tapering, my weight training is tapered. Um, like when I'm building my weight training is building as well. Um, depending and with my, with my, plan like when my down weeks are and when my up weeks are um if it's your down week that's not when you should be doing your heaviest week of of lifting that i mean i, I think that's a temptation for so many runners i think well it's a rest day or it's an easy week so i've got more time for weights or more time for cross training and obviously that's counterproductive for the point of backing off and having that easier week well, it's kind of like when people want to take their day off on the day they work the most. And I'm like, we've well, got like no recovery. <laughs> so like, it's, 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 I think people forget that recovery is really important for adaptation and strength training should be built into your schedule, just like your running running plan. Now your cross training could be different. Um, like I said, that's a great tool to use. Like if you're really feeling like you need to do something, doing some easy blood flow, active recovery, you know, that might be something to keep you sane or get in the sauna more, which I love and sweat in the sauna and drink lots of electrolytes and feel like you did something, but you did because your body's adapting to heat and that's super awesome um, and restorative. So like, do, do more of those things that you don't prioritize that you should do, like get in the hot cold tub, get in, get your massage. Like you have more time to take care of yourself, like make it the a things that are still easier on the body. Exactly. And they're going to help your adaptation. So I want to switch a little bit more to trails and hills because uh, this podcast is for people doing all endurance running, but a lot of what they've heard so far will probably be more uh, well, useful for all running, but particularly road running. So if we're looking at hillier stuff, if we're looking particularly about things like can strength work help you get stronger on uphills? Can it compensate for not being able to run downhills because you live somewhere flat? So how, how can it factor in that way practically? Such a good question, Ian. Oh my goodness, that's gonna be my favorite <laughs> ever. Um, so, um, so I you th you think what I said just did, but I'm actually gonna bring it around. So when you go uphill, efficient muscle recruitment is really important. So being really efficient, um, you also need a high power to strength, like power and strength rate. Like getting up, I'm a super good hill climber because my my power to strength ratio is super high. So making sure your muscles can handle that um, is good. Um, but I actually think- but Could someone get that from just fast running, you know, um, interval sessions on the flat? Is that gonna give them that? Or is it gonna be the strength training that adds a noticeable improvement on that? If you can't get specific hill climb, then strength training is one of your best bets to add. I mean, you still need the speed and the lung work from running. Um, and you're, especially for downhill, like you mentioned, not being able to do downhills. Um, the power training I mentioned before too, I work on deceleration and catching with your muscles. Um, so like, say we do something and I want you to like, 
like a squat drop or squat jump and you and you're in the air and then as you land you actually like decelerate and catch with your muscles that's super important for your body to learn how to absorb that impact um and that actually translates really well to downhill running um even someone who only has like a couple of steps in their house they could do lunges back off that or or similar things that'll have some deceleration to to help absorb and, and strengthen the legs for that exactly um, especially for that downhill, because as you know, if you've never done a downhill in a while and then you start running one huge, like the first time I ever ran down Grey Butte, which is this big butte in, in Smith Rock and Bend, um, I was like crushed the next day and I was fast. I had been doing tons of track work. I had been doing lots. Um, and that's when I was really realizing that like, if you're going to be doing that, you need to train that a, you need to train on it. But if you can't, um, when I'm doing more of trail racing, um, I actually add a lot more of that deceleration um, and eccentric training in the gym too. So like I said, train your, your strength training should mimic what your goals are in your sport. And so if I'm in road training, you're right, it is a little different what I'm doing in the gym, but I do prioritize more of that single leg strength. Um, and, um, also that oscillation um with uh the ground um so minimizing oscillation you can work on in the gym as well which i can give examples but um um like up up and down bounce is huge like i mentioned earlier that's if you don't have enough power out of your feet and you can train that in the gym you can do um i I do pogo sometimes just foot plyometric um and i think people think strength training is just lifting a heavy weight, whereas I incorporate it all into one where you're doing a power set and a strength set. Um, and again, it changes based on what I'm doing. If I'm doing more trail work, there's going to be a lot more deceleration, a lot more eccentric, which is that, um, people don't know what eccentric is a concentric and eccentric and isometric are those muscle contractions. Um, a concentric, like if we do a bicep curl, everyone knows what that is. If you're curling up, that's the concentric phase, um, of the muscle. And it's shortening the muscle and it's curling up. And then as you lower, it's lengthening. And that's the eccentric phase. Um, and then if you were to hold in like a 90 degree hold, that would be an isometric where your muscle's not moving. Um, and isometrics are great. Um, but eccentrics are really, really such an amazing tool. They're also what tendons need to get stronger. So getting your tendons ready for that load, um, that impact, um, and look, teaching your body how to decelerate and and absorb um, that impact is huge. Um, and then uphill is just strength and power to weight ratio. And the more strength and power you have, the easier you're going to get up it. So. Yeah, and I think a lot of people would easily understand that if they get faster and stronger, the uphills, as long as they're not getting bulkier. But as we've explained, for a runner, that's not really an issue. Um, that's going to make them stronger uphill. So it's definitely the downhills that uh, I get the most questions about. Of How can I train for the downhills? I live somewhere completely flat. And so the kind of things you're talking about there, they don't even involve weights necessarily. These are body weight exercises, uh, things that are just going to be loading, not just the muscles, but also the, uh, the ligaments and tendons. You're saying it, it's a big part of that as well. Huge, like, um, exactly. And you can train it with weights too. Eccentric loading, like, um, uh, like when you're, you're just working on the eccentric phase for like the hamstring in particular, um, a Romanian deadlift is a different, it's a, there's, there's deadlift, there's many deadlifts, there's sumo, there's conventional, there's trap bar, there's Romanian, there's single leg, there's B stance staggered. Um, I love them all. Um, Romanian is double legged from the top with only, um, 
a slight soft knee and you're focusing on the lower and you're going slow and controlled and really hinging. And so you're strengthening the hamstring in a lengthened position. Um, and doing that with one of those plyometrics I just talked about where you focus on that load and catch and pairing them would be such a, like a phenomenal pairing for someone who needs some of that downhill. Um, they can't get it. So the answer simply is that it can actually make up for a lot. If you live somewhere flat, strength training of different types, as you just mentioned, can can certainly help. So for someone listening, and it's difficult to, this isn't the complete uh, walk away from this and you've got your set of exercises. There's obviously a little bit more work needs to be done, talking to a PT, et cetera, or, or a, a personal trainer in, in the gym to be able to uh, to work out how to do these things and show you how to do them in person so that you're not doing them with bad form. But I'm now going to ask kind of the flip of that question, which was instead of can strength training make you better on hills, can hills replicate a lot of what you'd get from strength training as a runner? Gosh, what a good question. Again, um, I'm just... This is the best. Um, so uh, I actually call hill training strength training. Um, I actually think it is related, and um, it's very specific strength training. Um, is it your complete strength training? No, but like I do hills. I try incorporate hill sprints or climbs. Um, I mean, if you if you're if you go up a forty degree hill and you're a hike, those are basically lunges you're doing over and over again, a, a severe, hard effort. Um, and so I, and then if you're sprinting uphill or bounding uphill, um, any of those, they're all going to build that specific strength as well. So that's a, that's a great, uh, it is a great tool to use. And I didn't mention this in the last answer, but um, nothing does replace running, by the way. Um, so you can help with the strength training. It's still, if, if you can't get to hills, it's gonna help you not be wrecked. But you still need to practice that specific, especially if it's a technical trail or that um, you still need to practice that downhill and uphill. Um, and if you can't, these can help. And they also can help even if you can, because you can get better and stronger. Um, but like I said, running is still like you can't replace it with anything. And technical trail running downhill would be a, a skill-based thing. There's definitely some ankle strength and similar. So maybe some of these exercises are going to help to some degree with that, with the stability. Yeah. but. It'll because it's more skill-based? Oh, go on. Sorry, it'll help you stay healthy while you do it and have the agility and the quick foot bounce. Like I said, like if you don't have that tendon strength to be quicker off the ground, especially on a huge downhill with rocks, you you need that to be able to, to have that quick. Like one of the best things like – like, like I was ever told is like my foot recovery off the ground from my track days is amazing and I never want to lose it. So I train it in the gym because if you don't train things, you lose it. Exactly. Yeah. So, so most of the things we're talking about here are you can get better at just going up or down, but if it's technical, that's a different thing we're talking about. And, and that is much harder to replicate if you live somewhere flat, but still you might have technical flat trails. You could just run over some rocks, run in the grass, similar things, to that. but that's a, uh, another tangent to take about how to run downhill well, but just from the strength point of view, I think there were some really helpful thoughts there. So, um, the next thing I want to talk about is aging, because we all know that muscle mass declines over age. Um, we know that that can be something that's going to impact your running as well as your day-to-day -day life. So do, are there particular things to, for people to bear in mind? Uh, and I'm going to kind of give my guess on your answer here, which is it's even more important the older you are to, to include this as a runner. It's actually um, <laughs> it's so important as you age. Um, you can almost get away a little bit when you're young, like because you're just 
almost like throwing darts at the wall and some of it works and you can kind of handle it, um, which is a disservice actually, because you'd still be better if you were strength training. Um, and, but as you age, um, it's even more important because strength and power are the first two things you lose as you age. Research has shown it's not endurance, <laughs> it's power and strength that you lose first. And actually power is number one, strength is number two. Um, and so if you're not training those um, as you age, y- your your abilities are actually going to drop quicker. And if you're not, it's hard to get back like later and later. So it's better to start as early as you can. That doesn't mean you can't like recoup some from training, but um, it's really important to keep um, your strength and power. And those relate straight into form. They relate into how you're able to climb up a hill. They relate into your ankle recovery from the ground and the poppiness in your ankles, which is really important um, to your speed and also injury prevention as you age. Thank you. Yeah, I only have one question left for you. Um, and then you can add anything else you want to as well. But it's related to weight vests. Anyone who's listened to me on any podcast knows that I'm a big fan of weight vests. And so I want to kind of delve a little bit into the exact purpose here. So it's kind of a little bit of everything. And that's why it can seem to some people like it's useless. It's not doing any one thing exactly. So using a weight vest, I'm not talking about using a really heavy one. I'm talking like 20 pounds. So something that can be used as active recovery. Um, My argument would be that It's something that rather than just going for a walk without the weight vest, you're adding a tiny bit of extra stress. It's helping with a bit of muscle strength, something that's still very much endurance-based and, as you mentioned, active recovery-based being something people don't get enough of. But um, I wouldn't argue for this as being really strength work as such. It's not something that's going to build a lot of muscle. It's not something that's going to really strengthen your tendons or similar. It's more just a way that if you're going to go for a walk, you can get a little bit more benefit out of it, but it's still easy enough to be active recovery. So with those caveats, can you see a place where a weight vest could help someone either to be getting more benefit from their active recovery, but still being low impact or to have other benefits to do with strength? So you said low impact. So is this only yeah. pertaining to hiking? Not you're not only hiking, not, not running with it. Yeah. No. Because I make those are two different things, and so yeah. I want to make sure I I don't believe in running with a weight vest very much. Um, unless there's something you yeah. need to do with that. I do like it with a hike, though. So they're completely different things, and I want to make sure people were clear on that. Um, you're right. You're not getting the same impact when you're walking, so you can add that load and get a little bit of. Um, a little more out of it and it is an active recovery because you're still recovering but you're getting a little bit more effort without stressing your the the things you you're avoiding from running like if you're running with it that'd be a whole different topic um and that'd be too much stress for especially an active recovery but an yeah. active recovery day i think it's a great specific training tool that is still getting blood flow still getting some endurance without that impact so i like that as like as opposed to like getting on the bike, if that's not your jam, like, um, or getting on the elliptical, I think it's something similar to that, to be honest, but a little bit more specific to the and would, would it be worse or better than just walking without the weight vest? Just from a purely active recovery point of view, if we, if we assume it's still low enough weight to be something you could genuinely call easy and you're not going up steep hills or going down steep hills with more impact? Okay. Um, I think it depends on the person and how tired they are. Like if they're really 
fatigued from the week. It's like how I said, like I like to do active recovery and then sometimes I take it off if I'm really fatigued. Um, and so it just depends on how you're feeling. Like if you're feeling pretty good, what a great way to add some more training without adding a lot of stress. Um, and then if you're not feeling good, then maybe you don't add that stress and you go for that walk without it. Um, especially if you're not, if you're not doing hills, um, I think it's a great way to make sure your core is engaged, that you're really aware of your posture while you're walking, how your hips are moving. Like, I think you're going to be a lot more um, tuned into your body, especially if it's not too crazy heavy. Um, and so in those like functional, like I teach people how to walk uh, as some of our first, like you can get so much activation and specific form work actually relating to running even just focusing on that when you walk so if you add that little bit of load you're actually going to get a little more of your core stability core activation glute activation if you're also focusing on form at the same time and walking with that mindfulness at the same time Exactly. And I'm actually going to write an article about this in the next few months, but uh, I just well, I don't want to make it a, a, a full on weight vest yeah. uh, thing and go into that in too much depth. I just want to clarify a little bit about how that gets used, because I think some people think, well, it's that strength work when it's not really intended to be hard enough hill. to be a stimulus. Like yeah, that. If you were going up big hills yeah. um, and it was a really heavy load, then yes, it's in the strength world. But with a lower weight and not hilly um, and something you're really focusing on form and posture, like one of my warm-ups for the strength, this is warm-up. Um, and I do put it in the strength is farmer's carries, um, waiter's carries and suitcase carries, carries of any type. And you're holding loads and walking. And it's one of the best functional core exercises there is if you're really mindful of posture and hip stability. So like your spine should be straight, your hip should be like this, your hip should not be going side to side or up and down. And you should be mindful of your form and adding that weight to add that, that challenge for your core and your stability and making sure your muscles are working the right way. Um, I do them in warmups all the time. And then I sometimes add even heavier ones as part of a workout for that core. Um, it's really, it's really one of the most functional core exercises you can do that people don't even realize they're doing core um, and alignment. So like having someone look at your form and alignment, like where your rib cage is and all that would be something you could add to that weight vest. Um, walk, um, farmers carry whatever you're doing for your supplemental, but walking with some load has actually been proven to be one of the best core exercises you can do. Especially if you don't do up the the weight vest, so it's swinging, so there's a little bit more core activation. But I don't, as like I said, I don't want to go too de in depth. But I suppose the key takeaway related to that and everything else we've said is know the purpose of the exercise you're doing. Is it meant, and how does it fit into your weekly training? Is this meant to be a harder day? Is it meant to be an easier day? Is it meant to be helping you with your form? Is it meant to be helping with you with your muscle activation? The more you understand it, and this is where working with someone in a gym is obviously going to help more, the better that's likely to be. So did you have any other thoughts related to that or, or anything else you wanted to mention? That summed it up really well. And I would even say that relates to your running workouts, everything you're doing, like know your purpose yep. of your workout and you'll always stick to it, whether you're tired or strong or feeling good. Like, you know, like as a coach, you probably give like a range sometimes. Oh, you're getting six to eight, eight hundreds. This is just whatever. Um, I haven't done that workout in a long time. I don't know why that one came out. <laughs> um, um, I used to think that eight was better than six because that runner mentality that's not always the case and that goes to everything you do and having someone that can help you stay on track but also just knowing yourself to be invested and learn 
What's the purpose? Ask those questions from your coach, from your training plan. Why is this put together? Um, And that will help you be more successful. Well, thank you. And I think that last thought is so perfect for all runners, which is more is not always better. If you know why you're doing something, you'll get more bang for your buck for doing it in the right way and having the easy days where you need them rather than just thinking, well, if I do more mileage, I'll be fitter. If I do more weight or I do it to failure, then that'll be better when in fact, often you'll not be like that because it'll be too much of a stimulus, take too long to recover and you'll lose consistency. Exactly. So thank you so much for your time, Renny. That was, I think, really helpful. And uh, I look forward to seeing you in the gym again soon. Thanks, Ian, and have a great rest of your day too. You can follow Renee Mativia on Instagram at at Renee Mativia or her business Instagram is for Recharge Sport Gym and that's at Recharge Sport. Um, There's also a Facebook page for that. She also has videos showing how to do certain exercises and routines on the Recharge Sport YouTube channel. You can contact me, Ian Sharman, at sharmanultra.com and also let me know if there are particular topics or guests you'd be interested in. Finally, it really helps the podcast reach more people if you rate, subscribe, or 